Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On our program tonight, Health Canada approves the Pfizer vaccine just days before the first doses are set to arrive in Canada on a day when the UK issues a warning about the vaccine and allergic reactions. I'll speak with Health Canada's chief medical advisor about the approval process and what Canadians need to know about this vaccine. Are the Prime Minister and Premier set to collide over health transfers at their virtual First Minister's meeting Thursday? We'll set the scene with the Premier of PEI, Dennis King, and MPs will be here to debate Canada's vaccine rollout plan and the demands of the Premiers for more health funding. But we'll begin tonight with the news that Health Canada has approved the Pfizer vaccine for use in Canada. That approval came after a two-month review of the data from the clinical trials. Bottom line, Health Canada says the vaccine is effective and it's safe. When we do an authorization, it means that we've looked at it and the benefits outweigh the potential risks. But... It is still a drug, it's still a vaccine, and there are potential risks, even if they're they're rare. So that's why it's important that we continue to monitor it. Canada will start receiving the first batches of the vaccine as early as next week. So how quickly will the first Canadians actually get vaccinated? We expect uh, vaccines to be shipped um, very soon, by the end of the week. Um, I think uh, this is Wednesday afternoon. Um, The uh, Pfizer indicated Uh, that they would be uh, prepared to ship by Friday. So assuming Friday, uh, we could see uh, vaccines arrive Monday, probably Tuesday. Here's what we know about the vaccination rollout in Canada. The Pfizer vaccine must be stored at temperatures between minus 60 and minus 80 degrees. The first doses for Canada are being produced in Belgium. Canada is expected to receive 249,000 doses before the end of December. It's a two-dose vaccine, with the second dose administered 21 days later. So that means as many as 125,000 Canadians will get vaccinated in the first round. The vaccines will be distributed to each province based on their share of the population. 14 distribution centres are being established across the country. Vaccine priority will be given to at-risk populations, including residents and workers in long-term care homes, frontline healthcare workers, people over 80 years of age, and adults living in Indigenous communities. As more and new vaccines arrive, non-priority populations will get their shots starting in April. Dr. Supriya Sharma is the Chief Medical Advisor for Health Canada, and she's with me now. Dr. Sharma, uh, thanks for taking time to speak with me tonight. I do appreciate it, and I guess congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you've concluded this Pfizer vaccine is now effective and safe, so explain to our viewers how you and your colleagues reached that decision at Health Canada. That's right. So we've authorized the vaccine under what we call an interim order. And this was an order that was put in specifically for COVID-19. And it gives us some flexibilities in terms of how we do the review uh, while still making sure that we're holding these vaccines to the same standards that we would for any vaccine in Canada. So the authorization today comes after months of a dedicated team, about 10 individuals. They're all scientists and experts in their field pouring over all of the data related to how the vaccine works, potential adverse events, the manufacturing, um, the quality controls on the vaccine. And then we determined that overall it's met the standards 
and that the benefits outweigh the potential risks so it can be authorized for use in Canada. Okay, what, what was different about this process that allowed you to approve the vaccine so quickly compared to, to other processes involving other vaccines? So the one part of the vaccine is that it's been developed very quickly. So the science behind it has come quite quickly. And then as the regulator, you know, holding the the, the assessment uh, role, we've looked at it and we've dedicated additional resources to it. So we have a dedicated team that was only working on this vaccine. We did it through something called a rolling review, which means that we can get data from the company and from the studies as it becomes available. So normally what happens is that all the studies are done all the way from the initial lab results, all the way to the clinical trials and only until everything is finished do we actually even start the review. But we were able to start the review uh, back in um, October when it was first submitted to us. So we get a start on it, mm -hmm. and then that helps move move quickly through the through the data. Okay, we, we heard today that there have been some severe allergic reactions in a couple of patients in Great Britain. So uh, how does that affect your directions on the use of the vaccine in this country? Well, it's normal to have some reaction. So we know that when vaccines are studied, they're studied in clinical trials under controlled situations, and they're limited numbers of people. Once vaccines go out into the wild, as we say, um, and are used in in uh, larger numbers of people, some rare events might come up. Um, but it's also known that with vaccines, there are people that will have allergic reactions against them. Now, in the clinical trials for this vaccine, there were very few. Out of 44,000 people in the trials, there were two uh, severe allergic reactions, one in the group that got the vaccine, one in the group that did not. But it's not unusual for people to potentially have a, a, an allergic reaction. And that's why you know, we have all those measures in place. Once you get a vaccine, you stay there for a while to make sure that you're getting monitored. So what we're doing now is that we're getting the information from those cases in the in the UK. We work very closely with other regulators, including in the UK. And then we're making an assessment to see if any changes in the way that the vaccine is used here needs to happen. But oh. I think it's important to remember that we continue to monitor these vaccines as they roll out, and this is with you know any drug or vaccine, and there will be events that come up, and it's just important sure. to have a system to find them and to look at them. So in Britain, what they've said is people with a history of serious allergies should uh, should not get this vaccine. So are you, are you issuing the same directive in Canada? So right now, we're, we're not making a change to the, to the direction. So what the directions say right now in the Canadian product monograph for the authorization is that if we say, if you've had, a, if you have an allergic reaction or had a reaction, or have an allergy to any of the components of the vaccine, and we've listed all of the the, the components uh, as available on the on the web, mm -hmm. then you should not take the vaccine. Now, what we'll do is that we'll assess these cases, and we'll make a, a, uh, an assessment to see whether or not we need to change that and expand it the way that the UK has. And we've made a commitment to do that and provide advice to people that are getting the vaccine and healthcare practitioners before the first person in Canada gets vaccinated. There will be those who suggest this adverse reaction for people with serious allergies. Uh, some will uh, will say, look, that proves the vaccine and other vaccines are being rushed to market without the proper testing and trials. Uh, what do you say to those people to reassure them? Um, I would say that I, I understand that there's a lot of questions about the vaccine and there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of disinformation out there. But what I would like to say about this is that this is not unexpected. 
you know, anytime you get a medication or a vaccine, there's a potential of having an allergic reaction. The fact that these were picked up and that we know about them and we can look at them very quickly is a sign that the system for monitoring is working. Vaccines are, you know, tested rigorously. We've done a really thorough evaluation. We have a very low threshold for any kind of serious adverse reactions. In the studies, we've had a very low percentage of those types of events. And so, you know, we need to be aware of this. We need to react to this, but we don't want to overreact. So people whose turn it is to get the vaccine should have comfort in the fact that Health Canada has authorized it, it's being monitored, it's gone through a rigorous review, and they should feel comfortable receiving it. The vaccine's being recommended for people over the age of 16 in this country. Uh, why, aren't, why are children being excluded at this point? The authorizations for any any medication or vaccine are really based on the clinical trials and the and the the people that the participants in those trials. So for the Pfizer vaccine, uh, the the main part of the study was involving people as young as sixteen. They did expand that to go a little bit lower. So there are some um, children from the age of 12 to 15 that were in the studies, but they were really small numbers. So they weren't at the point where we could draw conclusions. So that's why we've authorized it from 16 years of age and older. The plan is for Pfizer to do additional studies in lower age groups. Um, and what, what they do is they do some of the early studies again in children and then use what we call a bridging assessment to be able to use other data to make sure that it can be safe and effective in, in children without having to do all of the huge large-scale studies all over again. So we're expecting those studies to start. And then if we have that information, we'll assess that and we'll see if it can be used uh, in, in age groups younger than 16. There are other candidates uh, uh, also in trials as well. The Moderna vaccine seems to be the most advanced. Can you say how quickly Health Canada might approve the next vaccine? So we have uh, three other vaccines under review right now. As you said, the Moderna vaccine, the one by AstraZeneca, and the newest one is the one by J&J &J or Johnson & Johnson. And out of those three, the Moderna one is the most advanced. Um, we are still waiting for some key information to come in over the next couple of weeks. And depending on when that information comes in and what that looks like, we'll be in a better place to talk about exactly when that authorization might come. But that review is progressing well, and, um, and we're hoping that it will come soon, but we're just waiting for some information. All right, let's finish on this. Uh, you know, I think this pandemic has sort of pulled back the curtain on the important work that you and your colleagues do on behalf of Canadians at Health Canada. And look, I know there's still lots of uncertainty ahead, but this is a major milestone on the road to recovery for this country and in fact, uh, for the entire planet. And I guess I'm wondering how you feel about what has developed here today and what has happened with the approval of this vaccine. Sure. So, I mean, I, I agree with you. The regulatory system is largely invisible to people. It's like this big safety net that's there and people don't necessarily think about it when they take their blood pressure medication or that anti antibiotic. Uh, but we're always there and we're always there looking out for Canadians and making sure that, that you know, they these drugs and these vaccines that are, are being used by people are, are safe and effective and of high quality. So, I mean, it's heartening to actually have People really understand the regulatory re review process and understand the value of it. Um, you know, we've had a lot. It's been a long year um, and it's been a lot of really tough news. It's nice to have good news. Um, I know our teams are just they've, they're, they've been working nonstop. Um, they know how important these vaccines will be in terms of our ultimate fight against COVID and getting, you know, through this mm -hmm. to, a, to a better place where we can lift, start to lift some of those public health measures. So, you know, it's nice to take a little bit of time and recognize all the hard work that's gone into it and that, that it's a major achievement. And 
you know, it's the tomorrow's another day. We're going to be continuing to work on other vaccines, and and um, there's there's still a long road ahead. But today is a day to be to be very grateful. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Supriya Sharma. Uh, thanks for your time tonight. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for your interest. Canada's vaccine rollout will be a key agenda item during a First Minister's virtual meeting on Thursday with the Prime Minister and Canada's Premiers, along with provincial demands for a massive increase in federal health funding to the provinces for health care. Federal government and the provinces once shared health care costs 50-50. This year, the provinces collectively will spend $188 billion on health care. The federal government will contribute $42 billion of that amount. Dennis King is the Premier of Prince Edward Island. He joins me now from Charlottetown. Premier King, good to see you again. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me on. Look, uh, let me get to the reaction first with your reaction to the approval today by Health Canada of the the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Um, How is that news being greeted in your province? In PEI, it's very much welcome news. I believe it's it's, it's been uh, a bit of a a flicker of hope on the horizon as we've been enduring nine months of this difficult time of COVID. And I believe that, you know, the vaccine finally being uh, approved uh, now will be distributed uh, in the days ahead here are beginning to be distributed in Canada. I think it's being accepted as as a really big uh, hope. If not the, uh, you know, the, the end of this, it's perhaps the beginning of the end. And, and uh, that's uh, that's very, very welcome news here. When have you been told or when do you expect to get the first doses of the vaccine for PEI? Uh, we have been told that beginning next week, we'll start to get a shipment. Uh, uh, I believe we'll have... Uh, uh, by the end of uh, December, we should be able to have almost 2,000 Islanders vaccinated, uh, uh, which is a really good step uh, for us. Uh, there was a few impediments we had to walk over, uh, you know, in terms of the, the Pfizer vaccine needing uh, uh, some significant storage. Uh, uh, we've had a company, a tuna company called One Tuna, step up and donate uh, two sub-zero freezers to us here at PEI. So all of that has helped get us into a position where we feel comfortable that we're ready to uh, to start uh, sometime by the by the end of next week. Well, one of you you've touched on it. One of the concerns that's been raised involves the, the distribution piece. The, and you touched on it, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, it's going to get dropped off at a single site, as I understand it, in your province. And have, and have you figured out where that is and how you'll vaccinate people if you can't transport the vaccine to them? They have to get to the vaccine or have you found a way around that? Well, Peter, as you and uh, many of your viewers know, PEI is a very small jurisdiction. Uh, so the logistics here are a little bit easier, perhaps, than in other jurisdictions across the country. So we'll have the one central depot here in Charlottetown. And for the first part of the uh, of the vaccination process, the first 2,000 for sure, uh, we will bring individuals to the site uh, to be vaccinated. We won't be distributing uh, out to uh, facilities outside of that uh, depot at the beginning. So we feel we're in good shape. We've been planning the logistics of this for the last six weeks, essentially, and we do benefit from being a small island jurisdiction. Right. Uh, the rollout will be very efficient once we get past the initial stages of this, but we're very much ready to go and uh, and looking forward to, say, starting this process that we think will get us back to some kind of normal uh, in the near future. Okay, let's talk about your first minister's meeting tomorrow. The prime minister wants to focus on the vaccine rollout and the pandemic response. That is certainly a a big and timely issue. Uh, Premiers want to press for $28 billion a year more in federal health transfers. How optimistic are you that the prime minister will will offer up some kind of number, some more money in that discussion tomorrow? 
I think it's safe to say that I go into these uh, to this conversation hopeful and optimistic. I think what we have seen over the last nine months, the cooperation, the collaboration between the Prime Minister, the federal government and, and, and premiers has been unprecedented. And I think we have some wind in our sails in that regard. Uh, do I expect there will be some uh, contentious parts of the conversation? Absolutely. But I think I'm going into this with, uh, with, with some optimism. I think we have shared objectives and shared uh, uh, values of what we're trying to do for the Canadian public and for the Prince Edward Island public. Mm. Uh, I don't think we're that far apart on a lot of these things, but uh, the conversation, of course, will be interesting. But uh, uh, I'm an optimist by nature, and, I, and I'm, I'm very optimistic heading into the meeting. It's always good to be an optimist, an optimist in that job, as you know. Uh, but, <laughs> but, I mean, what is it you need to hear from the Prime Minister at, at, at the meeting? Do you, I mean... Do you hear, Denis, uh, are you satisfied with a commitment to keep on discussing uh, how the federal government might do more? Do you, want to, do you want to hear talk of a number? Do you want to hear a commitment to more money and then, and then, then be discussing amounts later? I think what the premiers have discussed for a number of weeks now has been uh, the, the united front that we're putting forward is that we would like to see the federal government uh, come up with a greater percentage uh, of funding, uh, of co-funding for the Canada Health Transfer. Uh, right now it's at 20, 22%. We're, we're suggesting 35. You talked about in your opening how it was 50% at one point. So I think we're unified in our desire to see the federal government uh, come up to the table with an investment. And like I say, I'm optimistic because we've seen the federal government respond quickly and in a big way these last nine months when it comes to supports, income supports, uh, business supports, health supports. So I believe we have some momentum. We have an, uh, we, we've seen what we can do by working together. I think we do have, uh, as I have been saying, uh, we have some shared objectives here. That okay, let me, we, let me, you know we can get to the same place. So let, I, let, I, let, me, let me pick up on that point you're making. The Prime Minister points to the billions of additional funding Ottawa's provided the provinces to deal with the pandemic. He repeatedly notes that eight of every $10 spent by governments during the pandemic has been federal money. So what's your answer to that position? He seems to be saying, look, we're doing a lot already. Not sure we need to do more. I think the Prime Minister has demonstrated, I say, a desire to stand up uh, and react quickly. And, he, and, and the federal government has done that in a big way. And nobody is questioning or, or arguing about that in any way, shape or form. I think what we need to continue to see is that investment for the long term as well. Uh, we're in this business to try to make the lives of Canadians better. We have done that with our response these last nine months. And I think if we can take that uh, vim and vigor, that same robust attitude toward the negotiations of the Canada Health Transfer, we will continue to improve the lives of Canadians. And that's what we're all here to do. The federal government's pushing for national standards, uh, for instance, in long-term care homes. So in, in a number of different areas, a greater role for the federal government in determining how health dollars are spent. So uh, I guess how would you respond to any federal proposal of increased funding if it comes with conditions attached on how it's going to be spent? Well, I think what I've been talking about all along and I continue to bring forward here is that we do have shared objectives. I think the federal government would like to see improvements in the delivery of long-term care. So too would every premier in every province. I don't think that's a, a hill for anybody to die on. I do think that we need to be mindful of the fact that if the federal government is prepared to step up and to demonstrate they have uh, some money to put into some of these shared objectives, but they also need to be respective of, of, of our positions uh, within the, the federation and our ability and our responsibility to deliver those programs. Right, but, but are you prepared to accept? Are you prepared to accept a federal government imposing standards from the federal government on how you operate 
uh, how you regulate and monitor long-term care homes in Prince Edward Island? Well, I think Prince Edward Island is probably the model in which other jurisdictions should be looking at in terms of uh, uh, in a long-term uh, you know, delivery. We, we do it well here. It's a public-private uh, uh, partnership along the way. We've done great things here. We've had great success. So as I say, the federal government, I think, uh, it's not within their responsibility to tell us exactly how to do things, but I have absolutely no hesitation for the federal government to be saying, if we put money into this particular uh, uh, area, that we want you to make sure that you deliver for Canadians and Islanders, and I'm quite prepared to do that. All right. Uh, Prince Edward Island Premier Dennis King, uh, we'll keep an eye on that meeting tomorrow. Thanks so much for your time tonight, Premier. Appreciate it. Uh, great to be on, Peter. Thanks very much. Well, let's bring in a couple of members of Parliament now to discuss the debate over health transfers and the COVID-19 response uh, from the federal government. Adam Vancouver is an Ontario Liberal MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Diversity. And we're also joined tonight by Don Davies, who is a British Columbia New Democrat and a uh, health critic for his party. Uh, we hope to have been joined by John Barlow from the Conservatives, but there's been a technical problem and uh, we're unable to bring him into this conversation. But uh, let me push ahead. Mr. Vancouver, let's start with the issue of health transfers to the provinces. How strong is the case being made by the premiers, including the premier of your province, for a $28 billion annual increase in health transfers from the federal government? Well, up here, as you mentioned, uh, there is a first minister's meeting uh, later this week, and uh, they will make their case. Um, the goal of the meeting is to, to further organize the vaccine deployment programs with the provinces and the territories, as well as to seek to better understand how to support healthcare workers, frontliners, uh, long-term care throughout to the towards the end of this pandemic uh, as well as how we can strengthen health care in this country from coast to coast to coast um, but do you think the province do you think because, the, the the provinces deserve an increase in federal funding transfers for health care well this year's investments in health care to the provinces have been historic 25 billion dollars i believe that was 19 billion dollars for the safe restart agreement three billion dollars for the frontline uh, wage increases and two billion dollars towards a safe restart for schools. So there has been um, evidence that it's necessary this year. This has been a once in a century type of a year. So nothing's off the table. All right, Mr. Davies, what's the NDP position on increased health transfers for the provinces? Oh, I think the case is overwhelming for that. Uh, you know, when, when Medicare was first established in the 1960s, uh, the, the arrangement was supposed to be a 50-50 cost share between the feds and the provinces and territories. That has steadily eroded over the decades to the point where today the federal share is about 22 cents out of every dollar. And uh, so that uh, slide not only has to be arrested, but we have to start getting going the other direction. And, um, you know, I, I, I take uh, Adam's point about the sort of one-time episodic payments that have been so important in this, uh, this pandemic, but there are longer-term structural problems that have to be addressed by the federal government, the provinces, coming to a renewed commitment to a partnership. Okay. Uh, uh, is, is funding its share of, of health care. Let me move to the, to, to the vaccine news today, Mr. Vancouver, and a big news with the approval of a vaccine. Um, do you think this now, with, with the vaccine, and we're now seeing uh, the rollout plans in greater detail uh, starting as early as next week, the provinces are putting together their plans. Does that answer opposition concerns as far as you're concerned about where's the plan? That has been the question from the opposition members since, uh, you know, basically August. And we've been assuring them since then that we've had a, 
a plan and a very diverse portfolio. And they've asked the same questions and been frustrated with the same answers. But the, the reality remains, we've got an incredible public service in Health Canada. I want to take this opportunity to thank them for their extraordinary efforts. This is an absolutely unprecedented situation and has required unprecedented volumes of work. Uh, Health Canada has done more than their job. They have, in such an expedient manner, uh, approved this vaccine. Um, Procurement Canada has done an amazing job, uh, you know, fulfilling these uh, these these orders and making sure that Canadians have access to the best vaccines as quickly as possible. And as we heard today, Health Canada has done an extraordinary job, has uh, approved this this first vaccine from Pfizer and. 250,000 doses almost. I think it's 249,000 doses right. will be coming to Canada by next week. Okay, Mr. Davies, you've been one of the members of Parliament, along with Conservative MPs and other opposition members, pressing for a plan. Uh, do you feel like now you have most of the answers that you need, uh, given that we know the, arrival, the, the approval of the vaccine, the, uh, the timing of the arrival of that, the vaccine, the distribution plan seems to be falling into place. Are you satisfied now? Well, we're getting there. And uh, look, today's a very happy day. I, I'm very happy. And, you know, as an opposition member, I, I sort of prefer it if the government uh, fails, that benefits us. But this is not something that I want the government to fail on. No new Democrats do. We all want um, uh, the government to be successful and for Canadians to get access to a safe, effective vaccine as timely as possible. And, um, you know, by the way, I also want to add my voice to uh, to praising and thanking Health Canada and, and PHAC for all their work. This has never been about them. What it has been about, though, I think, in fairness, is uh, the, the political communication by the Liberal government. I think they have been uh, far too reluctant to tell Canadians what's going on. And uh, I, I don't think that... Um, uh, Put it this way, yes. I think it's an important part of the opposition's job to, to have, you know, trust but verify, you know, to be pushing for accountability and transparency. And that's what I've been doing and my New Democrat colleagues. And I think we're starting to see answers. And quite honestly, I, I think that it's been our work in pushing the government that maybe has accelerated some of the, uh, the actions of okay. the government. For instance, I think the 249,000 Pfizer doses, I don't think would have been here in December if we hadn't been pushing the government hard. All right, let, me hear, been, let, me, let me hear you. You want to respond to that, Mr. Vancouver? I, I can't believe, I really, really uh, appreciate the comments from my colleague, but I can't believe that we're playing po politics during a pandemic. I can't believe I just heard uh, my colleague say that he wants the government to fail for political reasons. If the government fails, particularly in time of a pandemic and when Canadians need us most, then Canadians will not receive what they need. And we've been working collaboratively, openly, transparently from the beginning of this pandemic. And certainly opposition members have brought forward really good ideas, okay. you know, really good uh, suggestions and recommendations, as have all members of parliament, even independent ones sitting in parliament have contributed to this effort. But this is not the time for politics and demanding that you get credit or something like that for a recommendation that you made. Canadians are relying on us to work hard for them. Canadians are relying us on us to get them the information that they need okay, let me, to dispel misinformation, which has been a huge and problem for this let, pandemic. Okay, Mr. And Davies, let me get, bring you in for a final word, Mr. Davies. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Well, well you know, uh, Peter, that, that was, that's a classic example of how the Liberals twist things. I, I said that generally opposition wants the government not to do well and not to, not to be successful. I said specifically that's and not the case. if we're not successful, then Canadians not, suffer, Mr. Davies. I'm sorry. That's, that's disappointing. Okay, hang on. Finish so, up, Mr. Davies. So it's, 
That is absolutely not the case with the COVID vaccine, because my point is we all want the government to uh, to succeed with this. But again, in us pushing the government and us demanding transparency and being Canadians' eyes and ears to push the government and demand answers, that is not playing politics. All right. That filling the role of the opposition. All right, time, time is short. Listen, thank you both for your time tonight. And a, a note to viewers again, uh, we had tried to reach uh, Conservative MP John Barlow to uh, join us for this discussion. Uh, we were unable to make that happen technically, but uh, he'll, jo- he'll join us again. Uh, but thank you both for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. All right, so let's get the Conservative leader's reaction then to the vaccine news today. Here's Aaron O'Toole. Vaccine is good news. You know, we've been asking and, and hoping for vaccine for some time. I also think it's great we're getting a a sample of the vaccine from Pfizer so that we can test our systems. The military was stood up recently and will be able to test delivery. Obviously, it's a vaccine with very cold storage. So it's it's, it's good news, and Canadians need good news in a pandemic close to Christmas. And we've been asking for a plan. We've been asking for a vaccine, so I'm, I'm happy when we get some. The sample we're getting in the next few weeks, let's make sure we test deployment of that and make sure that the most vulnerable, some of the frontline people that will likely be exposed the most, they should likely be in it. But this is where I trust our, our, our scientific experts, you know, Dr. Tam and provincial officers of health will have an approach. Uh, there's a very finite supply, but let's make sure we, we have the refrigeration and things needed across the country. Uh, I will be getting the vaccine. I think it's important for public officials to, to talk about how important these are. Tools like rapid tests and vaccines will let us turn the corner in, in the pandemic and help us keep the economy moving. So if people have questions, that's because there's been a vacuum of information. I hope Mr. Trudeau stops being so secretive about this. Canadians just want to know, how many will my province be getting in January, February? When will my family have an opportunity? These are reasonable questions, and let's also show them it's safe and effective. That's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. Until next time, take care.